Man, there's like no one watching right now, so it's like nobody can see here any of these. Yeah. Unless people look. Oh, <gasps> oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Yeah. All right, everybody. Um, Maybe that's what we should do from now on: watch parties. What? Watch party. What do you mean? Oh, look, Walter's on. All right, let's start. Yeah. So, hi, Walter. Sorry you couldn't come today. Walter was gonna visit today. What? I am. Bro. I miss you, Em. Walter. Oh <laughs> no. Got you. Okay. Anyway, welcome back, everybody. Um, we should we introduce ourselves again? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is David, and I am a senior in Berkeley. And my name is Joseph. I'm also a senior at Berkeley, and we are not credentialed ministers. <laughs> you say that every episode. We are not credentialed As ministers. Disclaimer. Until please. like in a few years. <laughs> and until years. maybe yeah. maybe someone becomes a credentialed minister. Yeah. See. <laughs> All right. So welcome back to Dulas. Uh, last week we talked about the meaning behind our name, and uh, we answered questions about habitual sin and the assurance of our salvation. If you missed last week's episode, you can look on David's feed, or we are also going to be releasing a YouTube channel fairly soon as well. Those videos will see time timestamps for the different questions that we answer, and you'll be able to also watch at two times speed if that's more your style. So, uh, today's question. Wait, uh, just a real quick. Uh, if this is your first time watching, uh, we're just you know fellow Christians who are excited to answer questions to the best of our abilities and hopefully in a way that is word-based and God-honoring. Yeah. So if you have any questions about Christian life or theology or whatever, uh, we will do our best to answer. And please know that like the answers that we can give are not comprehensive in any way. Um, and if anything, we hope that it sparks an interest uh, for you to go and seek these answers in the word. Amen. Yep. All right, so the question for today comes from Jenny. It's, how did Lucifer fall from heaven when in heaven everyone should, question mark, be perfect and sinless? And a second question which she asked was, do infants and mentally ill or disabled people get saved as well? So we're going to take those two questions separately because there's a lot to say about both. Uh, yeah, the first question, how did Lucifer fall from heaven? Uh, so I guess for a little bit of background, for those of you guys who don't know, Lucifer is a, a pretty common name that we give, that we attribute to the devil. Satan, even Satan itself is not his name per se. It's, it's rather the title that's most frequently used of him. It means the accuser. Uh, and it's the title that we give to our chief enemy, the devil. And so uh, I think a lot of Christians kind of have usually from like pop culture or, or books or like maybe hearing it once or twice in church that Satan used to be an angel in heaven before he fell from grace uh, and is now ruling as a as a demon but there are even with that uh, a lot of misconceptions that people tend to have about Satan uh, one of them is that Satan and God are equal and opposite forces that is dualism that is unbiblical uh, Satan is not omnipotent as God is. He's not omniscient. 
he is uh, he's not eternal either in the sense that it's not that God and Satan existed in eternal conflicts, but rather Satan is a creation of God. We're going to go into that in just a little bit as well. So Satan is only eternal in one direction, just as the rest of creation is. Uh, and uh, Satan also is not uh, equal in power with God. So it's not like he like confounds God's plans and then God has to re-strategize and kind of figure out what to do next. But rather, he operates within the absolute sovereign control and power of God. Uh, and we will go a little bit more into that as well. Yeah, uh, I guess just one thing that we wanted to kind of address before we answer the question is I think there's an assumption in this question that says because Lucifer or Satan was in heaven and everyone in heaven should be perfect and sinless, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. And I think one thing to note is that I think the condition that both Adam and Eve and also Satan and all creation was in before the fall I think there's a distinction between that condition and the condition that we will be when we are once in heaven where God renews the earth and he brings the new heavens and the new earth and we're made new again and we have new glorified bodies in which we will not fall again. Mm -hmm. um, which is something that I think we'll go into a little bit, but we just want to kind of address that right off the beginning that uh, the new condition that we will once be in in the future uh, for all those that believe in Christ uh, that was not and is not the condition that Satan and Adam and Eve were in because yeah. we will clearly see that they felt. The simple, simple kind of conclusion is that like in the future, I, I think like uh, what we're getting at here is that like one reason why people ask this question is because they wonder in the future when we are in heaven, will it be possible for there to be another fall, right? Uh, the Bible makes it very clear, no, it is impossible for there to be another fall. This first one was something committed, but the Bible makes clear that in the new heavens and the new earth, it will be impossible for us to sin thereafter. Like, it will be impossible for sin to once more proliferate in the new creation. And so, yeah. Yeah, so down to the meat of the question, how exactly did Lucifer fall from heaven? Uh, before that, we have to first know what is the biblical basis for the teaching that Lucifer did in fact fall from heaven, that the devil did fall from heaven. There are a number of scriptures that theologians tend to point to. Um, one of the chief ones is found in Ezekiel chapter 28. This is when God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel in a number of prophecies, warnings, and uh, uh, prophecies of judgment against different nations, both nations surrounding Israel and Israel itself. Uh, in Ezekiel 28, we see a prophecy against the prince or the king of a nation called Tyre. Uh, and in verses 1 through 10, uh, Ezekiel appears to be directly addressing the man himself, uh, or God appears to be directing the man, uh, directly addressing the man himself. He says, Because your heart is proud, you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the sea, yet you are but a man and no God though you make your heart like the heart of a God. So he's condemning this king of Tyre for acting as if he is as powerful as a God, of, as, as rich and as wise as, as God. Um, he says, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations. Uh, will you still say I'm a God in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God, 
in the hands of those who slay you. So God is pronouncing judgment against this king, uh, prophesying that uh, someday this nation will be decimated by their neighbors. But it's really interesting because the prophecy continues and says, verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was recovered. So this is a very interesting kind of uh, transition because clearly the, the human king of Tyre was, is not a signet of perfection. He's not perfect in beauty. And he clearly wasn't in Eden, the garden of God. Uh, further in verse 14, it says, You are an anointed guardian cherub. A cherub is the type of angel, one of the heavenly hosts. I place you, you are on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. So this leads uh, many scholars and theologians to believe that in these two portions of this prophecy, the first portion is directed at the human king, uh, the king of Tyre, but the second portion of the prophecy is directed to the one who is influencing and using that human king, who is the devil, Satan. And so in this second half of the prophecy, God is describing the devil as formerly an anointed guardian cherub who was a signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, in the, on the mountain of God, um, and blameless from the day that God created him. Uh, so this example of, or, or this, this instance of God directly addressing a creature and the one behind working behind the scenes of that creature it is also evident in, um, for example, in Genesis chapter 3, when God is pronouncing curses over the serpent who deceived uh, Adam and Eve. That serpent in and of itself was just a snake. It wasn't a, a spiritual being that took the form of a physical creature, but rather it was a snake who was possessed by, influenced by Satan to deceive Eve uh, and Adam. And this assault uh, by Satan to do so uh, it is just, when you think about it, it, it was him trying to subvert the created order, where it, in the created order at the beginning, it was God who reigned over man and his wife, and his wife submitted to her husband, and creation submitted to mankind. But by taking this serpent and deceiving a woman who then deceived the man, Satan was trying to subvert the created order. Um, and so in Genesis chapter 3, in the, in the curses that, that God pronounces over the serpent, he says, he begins with curses against the serpent itself, saying that uh, he's going to crawl on his belly. Yeah, on your belly you shall go, dust you shall eat all the days of your life. But then in verse 15, the verse right after, the second part of his curse against the serpent, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. A lot of scholars call this pretty much the thesis of the Bible, that the rest of the Bible describes the account of this promised son of man who will be born of a woman, the promised son of man who will crush the head of the serpent, the true serpent, Satan, uh, while being wounded in the process to bring restoration to Eden. Um, so this is just another example of God addressing the created being and then addressing the one who is working behind the scenes, uh, which is why a lot of scholars believe that Ezekiel 28 is in is an example of God actually giving backstory to Satan. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. But I guess to uh, to try to more like 
specifically address the question. The question was asked, how did this happen? And I guess the bottom line is like, we don't really know how exactly happened. We know that when when Satan or the devil was created, um, the God, God says, or the Bible says that like, he was a signet of perfection. He was, he was good, right? In verse 15 of Ezekiel 28, oh, and, and, or sorry, verse 11 of Ezekiel 28, mm. right? It says, you are a signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, right? But in verse 15, it tells us that though Satan was blameless in all his ways from the day he was created, but the Bible makes it clear that there was a day when unrighteousness was found in Satan. And I guess as to how that exactly plays out is something that the Bible isn't super clear to us. Um, and I think that kind of raises questions as to like, oh, like how was this something that God was not in control over? Or was it something that like that happened beyond God's watch or um, yeah, right, God's sovereignty? And then the biblical answer to that is God is totally sovereign in all things. Even the fall of Satan was something that he was sovereign over. And it's something that he permitted. Just as he is sovereign over all the different kinds of evil that occur in our lives and in this world. Yeah. Yeah, and it says uh, further in the passage, uh, verse 17 gives us a little bit more hints as to the exact nature of Satan's sin. It says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings. So it describes like the pride which grew and festered in Satan's heart because of his own beauty. Um, but again, the question that David was getting at is, where did that inclination to sin come from at all? It is a question that like many theologians and scholars have kind of wrestled with over the years because depending on how you may understand or you misunderstand it, people have in the past used that question to misconstrue or misrepresent God as the original author of evil, as he is the ultimate cause of evil because he is the one who put that inclination to sin in Satan's heart, as if Satan would have gone, continued on in perfection un unless God intervened and made him evil, which kicked off the rest of the events of, of the fall and therefore the rest of human history. But we know that God is not the author of evil. He is entirely good. He does not lie. There is no shadow of change in God. There is no inkling of darkness in him. We read that in, in, in passages in Hebrews and in, in the Psalms. In James. In James, yeah. Um, and so it is not God who creates sin, but rather by creating uh, volitionally free creatures. I'll be careful with that. Well, we might explain that in just a little bit. Creatures who are who are autonomous uh, and are therefore able to be held morally responsible for their actions. Uh, those creatures are able to go against the perfect will of God. Yes. Go. It's like go against the commands that God gives to yes. us. So that it's not that we as autonomous and creatures that can make decisions can somehow thwart God's plan. Mm, right? yes. That's not what we want to say, but it's that 
we can disobey God. And in fact, we do all the time. Yeah. And that's why we need Jesus. Yeah. Amen. I, I guess like adding, adding to that res- or that clarification, um, you know, like in scroll describes the will of God. Yeah. The three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like one of, uh, there's a Christian theologian that David and I really admire who described the will of God, uh, in, in three kind of ways that we understand it. The first is the sovereign will of God, um, under which everything that happens without exception happens under the sovereign control or will of God. And if he sovereignly permits things to happen or he actively uh, initiates things to happen, including things like the fall in the garden and even the fall of Satan from heaven. Those are all things which God sovereignly permitted. Um, but then the second uh, view of, or not view, but like the second kind of way that we understand our of God's will, will yeah. is his moral will, which is expressed through the commandments that he gives. Those, that will, that moral will, like thou shalt not murder or steal or things like that, or you shall not have any other gods before me. That is the will that is able to be broken. We're not allowed to break that. We're not permitted to break that, but we are able to break it. Uh, and there are moral consequences uh, for breaking that moral will. But even Breaking the moral will of God still falls under the sovereign will of God because it's the thing that happens. The last thing is the dispositional will of God or the things that please him. Um, so one example to kind of illustrate all these is the destruction of the wicked. When God punishes the wicked, that falls under his sovereign will because that is the thing that happens. It also goes according to his moral will because it is just and righteous for God to uphold his standard of righteousness by punishing the wicked. Uh, and yet it also goes against his dispositional will in that God is not like a, a sadist where he gets pleasure from, from destroying the wicked. Um, so, so that's kind of how we understand the will of God. And so Satan's fall was going against the dispositional and moral will of God in that it was an evil thing that occurred. It, the rebellion against God uh, was an evil thing that led to even greater evil on the earth. Um, and yet it still fell under the sovereign will of God because God is always in control. Yes. Amen. And just a reminder to uh, whoever is viewing live right now, if any questions come up as we're, just, as we're talking, uh, feel free to just comment. We do have a moderator. Uh, Hyung is off screen right now. She's monitoring the comments, and so feel free to jump in at any point in the discussion, and we'll be happy to respond. Yeah. So here's a question. David, a, a follow-up question to this is often like, if God knew that Satan would fall and everything that would happen as a consequence would happen, including the fall of man and all the suffering and the sin in the world, why didn't God just destroy Satan? Yeah. And I guess in one sense, it's like that answer to that specific question is we don't really specifically know why, right? But we know that God does all things for his glory. And he, in his perfect wisdom and in his uh, just omniscience, saw it pleasing to himself to allow this evil to happen Mm. so that at the end of it all, it will all be for his glory. Mm. Um, I think a similar question could be asked about not just evil things that we encounter in this world, right? Why didn't God just stop humanities right at Adam and not let all these evil things happen. 
And I think um, another question that was more personal to me was why, the, if we kind of look at our ancestors and we just kind of climb up our family tree, we see that like there's generations and generations of people that never knew about the gospel, never even heard of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? And we believe that we only saved by placing our faith in the gospel, in Christ, placing our trust in Christ. So we can kind of deduce that perhaps they might probably were not saved. Yet um, God allowed all this to happen. And I think one answer that I personally received from a very uh, respected mentor slash teacher of mine was that God permitted all these things to happen so that one day me personally or uh, Joseph or you would know and come to faith in Christ. Um, there are a lot of verses where in the Bible where it talks about God's patience and God's forbearing with the sinners, with the evil in this world, um, knowing that that kindness of God is supposed to lead people to repentance. I think it's, there's a passage in Romans 2 uh, where the Apostle Paul you know, calls out uh, the Jews and uh, the Gentiles to saying, God had patience with you, and that patience of God was supposed to lead you to repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Romans 2, 4, it says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to, is meant to lead you to repentance? Um, and there's another passage in, Second Peter, uh, chapter three, where questions are being raised as to when will the Lord come back, mm-hmm. and you know, there's it's already been a generation that Jesus hasn't come back. Is he ever going to come back? And uh, the Apostle Peter writes to uh, the Christians that are dispersed uh, in Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. And he reads, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise." as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Mm-hmm. In saying that God delaying his second coming, because when he comes, there's no second chances after that. Yeah. There's no take backs, no I will believe at that point, but that's the end. And God is patient towards us, towards those that are numbered among the elect, those that have been chosen by God, right? So that all of God's people would come and reach repentance. Mm-hmm. So, although that doesn't specifically answer, like why didn't God specifically at that moment stop Satan right there? Right? But we know that the Bible tells us that all things that happen in this world is for God's glory. Yeah. If I think like um, there are a number of things God could have done, but we know that because God is perfectly wise, perfectly good, perfectly mm-hmm. loving, yeah. that what he ended up doing was the perfect thing for him to do. Um, that by, it, it's not that, I think people often have a misconception of God's plan of salvation as something reactive. Like he set Adam and Eve off into the garden and like, oh no, they got deceived, what do I do now? You know, like, it just messes up like everything. And then he, he had to kind of just play it by ear from that point Let's give him the law and let's see if that works. Oh, now that what of the prophets? And then, oh, I guess I'll try my son then. And then, oh, I guess that one sticks. It's not at all that. But rather, if you see, if you read the Bible cover to cover, you see that there is a deliberation. There is a there is an uh, a plan 
that had been in place from the very beginning. That God being omniscient and being perfectly wise was able to see the entire scope of history all at once and understand or, and see exactly what would occur. Uh, all the evil and all the good. And yet he, uh, by his sovereign power and his perfect wisdom, uh, created this perfect plan of salvation in the son Jesus that would take even the most evil act in all of human history, namely when people crucified the innocent son of God and yet flip it on its head to bring salvation for people. Um, it's really just insane when you stop and think about like God knew all this and he planned the perfect plan to uh, to make it all come, come together for his own glory. And that includes the current uh, freedom that Satan has to wreak havoc on the world. Uh, it's a hard teaching, but it's biblical that Satan is currently given permission by God to operate in this world through his legions of demons, to deceive believers, to assail the, the church. And yet the hope that we have in Jesus is no matter what, Satan throws at us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ. That's Romans 8. Uh, and more than that, the church itself cannot be overcome by, by hell because God is the one who upholds and protects his bride, preserves us until his return. And so no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what Satan throws at the church or God's people, uh, no matter how he assails us as individuals and tries to speak lies to us, we have a sure hope in Jesus. That no matter what is going on, um, God, by allowing Satan to assail us, is then able to come in and display his power and glory in our lives and in the life of the church. Yeah, and I think I wanted to just kind of add one point. One point. Um, not only does God do all of this for his glory, own glory, and I think that is primarily like, why God does the things that he does, but I think the Bible tells us that um, God not only does it for his glory, but he also does it for our good. Um, and that's not to, in any way to justify the evil or to minimize, you know, or to say that that evil is suddenly okay now. But like what Joseph mentioned, God took the most evil thing that ever happened in this world, the most unjust, the most uh, disgusting thing that happened in this world, and God turned that around and used it for his glory and for our good. Uh, you're referencing Romans 8. I think one of the most comforting verses from that chapter is uh, Romans 8, 28. And it reads, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Knowing that everything that happens is according to his purpose, knowing that God is working all things together for good. Mm. And I think that is so comforting for us as believers, especially when we encounter evil in this world. Right? And that God, and we got to really hold on to this truth that God is working all things together for those who love God, yeah. for those who are called according to his purpose. And one more truth which we can hold on to that gives us comfort is that in the end, God wins. Right? We read that, that Satan's reign in this world, currently he is... He is a ruling power in this world. He is what influences our culture, our governments, uh, us as individuals to tempt us and to turn people away from God. But in the end, he will be conquered once and for all. 
for all of eternity. We will no longer be able to assail the people of God. Um, we take comfort knowing that Christ has already won uh, and our King is coming back. But in the meantime, our job is to, one, endure in faith, but also to continue out the Great Commission so that we can bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are lost, to those who are dying, to those who are still, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, children of wrath, following the prince of the power of the earth, following the ways of Satan, uh, and, and those who are deserving of judgment, we need to bring this message of hope to them. Um, and, and we can have faith that because God has been patient throughout this time, that as long as there is, like until the day he returns, there is time for us to bring this message of salvation to people and trust that God will save Amen. Any of our viewers have questions in response, clarification? Nobody? <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say about this question? I don't think so. Well, maybe we can give a quick TLDR. Um, so the question, again, how did Satan fall from heaven? Um, and then, like, underlying question from that is, like, how was it possible for Satan to fall? Uh, the short answer to where did that inclination to sin come from, uh, we don't know. That's not explicit in the Bible. People can conjecture uh, and, and kind of think, like, Maybe, maybe it was that God withdrew some sort of grace from him that enabled him to sin. Um, we, but the thing is that it's, it's still a mystery. And that particular question, we don't have an absolute answer found in, in Scripture because God in his wisdom just has not revealed that to us. But so there's that question. What, where exactly that, that, did that evil inclination come from? We don't know. How did he fall? He fell because of his pride, his growing pride and his rebellion against God, trying to exalt himself as God. And he took with him a third of the angels in heaven, uh, cast down as, a, as described in Ezekiel 28 and also I think in Luke, some chapter where Jesus says that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Um, why does God allow Satan to endure? Uh, by God's perfect wisdom, he uses even the evil that Satan is selling into the world for his own glory, that he turns it around, that he frustrates the efforts of the, of the enemy. And more than that, um, he perfectly preserves his people, whether in individual assault or in demonic attacks against the church, he's able to perfectly preserve us until his return. And what will happen to him in the end? Christ will conquer him once and for all. Throw him into the lake of fire, uh, where he will be receiving his due punishment until, or for the rest of eternity and the church will be able to enter into a new heaven and a new earth where it will be impossible for sin to be reintroduced. Yeah. Yup. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's pretty cool that a question like this can take us through the scope of, of eternity in that way. Mm -hmm. like, again, though, we're just skating across the surface. That's we're not credentialed ministers. But even for like, it's gonna be like a tagline. Yeah, even yeah, like do loss. We're not credential <laughs> ministers, but like e even for 
even for like like we're just two like students who are just trying to learn and try to um, gain or seek wisdom from god in scripture and even with just that kind of elementary knowledge we're able to see like the grandeur of god's plan and his wisdom so we encourage you to do this yeah and uh please if there are anything that we said that you think is not in line with scripture please mm -hmm. do let us know mm -hmm. uh, we you know won't take it personally maybe yeah. <laughs> we won't and it, you know we definitely do want to stay true to what the bible teaches uh, if anyone has any very strong thoughts or any verses that they would like to share please feel free to comment um just so that other people can see and also be blessed by it as well yes yeah and we really appreciate all the support and yeah encouragement keep yeah. friends and yeah keep asking questions too so that we can have a lot of other things to talk about yeah also amber we see your question that's an interesting one we're at the 35 minute mark so we will take that another week yep thank you for that question all right bye <laughs> wait 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 okay uh this is uh thursdays 4 p.m also we are we are releasing our youtube channel so keep an eye out for that you'll be able to revisit previous episodes watch them at two times speed if you like um and we will also update the description of this video to include the google form if you want to keep some questions yep okay bye okay bye <laughs>